Welcome to Garage Night. I am Randall. I'm Andy. And um, yeah, welcome. Welcome to uh, this week's episode. Uh, interesting interesting week for, for some of us, uh, some more than others. Um, Andy, have you, uh, you been up to anything interesting this week in particular? Nothing terribly, really. I'm pretty boring this week, actually. <laughs> um, I'm in the same kind of boat. The most interesting thing I did was uh, find out just how much uh, Best Buy marks up their HDMI cables. <laughs> Don't buy them oh, there. man. I'm sorry. You went to Best Buy first? I went there first and quickly uh, went to my Amazon app because uh, the the location of our TV above our hearth, um, you know, I, I wanted to, wanted to get everything set up and start tucking wires and, and running everything real nice from the TV to the Xbox and the switch and stuff. Um, and so I needed, I needed longer cables cause I had a six foot and a seven foot HDMI cable for those. And it just simply wasn't going to reach where they're going to live. Uh, and I'm like, okay, well I need about 11 feet. So like a 12 foot cable should be good. So I stroll into Best Buy and I'm like, I'll just pick up a couple cables, be on my way. Uh, anyone want to hazard a guess what a 12 foot HDMI cable uh, that's 4K enabled goes for at Best Buy? Probably like 48 bucks. Mm, I'm going to say 70. That $60. Oof. Damn. Damn. For, for 12 foot. I'm like, I'm not paying $120 at this, at this point. I'll, I'll find another way to. I'll mount the TV on the floor. That's, <laughs> there's that's not happening. Unfortunately, you're I, not in Oregon anymore, but there is a place in Clackamas that I always went for anything cable, computer, HD related. Um, right off two, Highway 212 in Clackamas. I'll see if I can find the name of it for you, but they always had really cheap, good quality cables. Hmm. Yeah, because uh, maybe I should have looked for a, you know, a more boutique kind of area, but I'm in a rush uh, nowadays. And I, I went on to Amazon and I found 15 foot uh, 4K, uh, you know, HDMI cables, 15 foot with, and they're braided cables. So they got that kind of the, the braided uh, nylon kind of around it to strengthen it. Mm -hmm. These cables are twice as thick. They're massive monster cables. I know that's a brand, but these are literally just huge. $11. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's hard to beat. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, oh, even if they don't work for, for you know, $11, I'm going to give them a shot. So sure. they're kind of hard to, to bend, just they're still they're massive. But, uh, yeah, for that price, I'll, I'll certainly give them a shot. Uh, I mean, that's the most exciting thing I really had to, to do with my week. We're all kind of laying low for, you know, various reasons. Uh, Jeff, you have... Did you do anything fun this uh, this week? I worked on the house a little bit in the garage um, and then just tried to not go out anywhere because of what's going on in our states. So trying to avoid, uh, you know, going out right now and being places. <laughs> but uh, beyond that, I, um, we took, uh, so I got this that big old cabinet uh, that they tore out of Shelley's Bakery um that they were going to pitch and it was bigger than the ones that i had for all my tools and stuff so we 
uh, ripped my old cabinets off the walls and put this one up there and kind of reorganized a little bit and had a lot more room for all my Fondo and paint and fluids and gloves and all types of crap that you need in your garage. So that was, uh, that was pretty much my weekend. Well, that's, that's, that's something, you know, little, little bits at a time on garages is, is how you get it done. Never going to get it all done at once. Right. So, you know, cabinets, a cabinet. Yeah. Um, Okay, so let's go ahead and uh, get into our first bit of news here. Um, so with the with the Shelby coming out, the new uh, GT500 coming out, you know, people are talking again about a dealer markup. And I started looking around at, at other things that are getting uh, dealer markup. And so, I mean, I've seen, I've seen some dealer markup, but... Uh, some of this is really next next level. There's a, a GT500 right now that they have marked up eighty thousand dollars. Is that what I'm? Is that what I'm? Am I reading that right? I believe. Yeah, it was. I believe the sticker on the car was like hundred and four. So it's the the 2020 GT500, and it's got the ten thousand dollar optional painted stripe option with the carbon track pack kit. And I believe the sticker was like 104, 105,000 on that car. And then after decor markup comes out to like 185. So right about an 80,000 mark. That's insane to me. I can't believe that's just markup. That's literally just because it's here right just now because. and you can get it. Right. It's a, hey, it's right here. You can have it for $80,000 on top of what it's worth. Yeah, exactly. And that's the key is on top of what it's what it's worth. I mean, it's one of the most, you know, one of the best deals for a car is is a muscle car. You get so much for so little, but boy, howdy, that that's just beyond the pale to me. It, it's uh, to pay steep. That much. It's that much. I mean, it's really steep. And if, if it, at the end of the day, you're still talking about an 80,000 markup on a Mustang. It's not a Lamborghini. It's not a Ferrari. I mean, yes, it's a you know probably a low production special edition Mustang, but it's still a Mustang at the end of the day. Well, you could get a very much a, a one of one, very special like M5 with all of the things for that, and you know you start looking at you know the bottom of Audi R8 money. Oh yeah, you know right. 80, 85, 185. Goodness gracious! You you could buy four, you know base or widely widely optioned 2020 mustang gts for that price. you know that you know it's that's steep and I, I i get paying a little bit of markup if you're in the market for that car right when it comes out uh, 10 to 15 and grand is, is ten, already tens my plenty. tens my top you know my top on top of it you know sticker price plus markup if if i'm in the market for that car at that time i i would go up to 10 on and, and that's that's any car you know whether it's ferrari or mustang we were seeing a lot of that too just with, agreed. Uh, with uh the uh, gm like when they released the new corvette we saw a lot of dealer markups everywhere yeah was it eighty thousand dollars though no i don't think it was that ridiculous but some of them not yet no, i haven't seen anything that bad yet i mean the, the supra was definitely, the... definitely had the same situation going on too Right, right. 
we'll see what happens next year with the Z06. We'll see if they put a you know a, a base price on that and see, you know, see what that comes out to, or if they're just going to say, no, it's the 60,000 plus the Z06 package, you know, there will be plenty of markup on the first Z06s that come out. I can do you one better. Uh, I can bring you up another vehicle that has an even higher uh, a dealer dealer markup on it. Uh, here in uh, over in Alabama, there's a Toyota dealership selling a Supra. It's one of the one of the launch editions, so there's only so many of them. Uh, but this launch edition uh, goes for. I believe it's about fifty-four thousand uh, dollars retail. Um, anyone want to hazard a guess for its final price from fifty-three plus markup? What it adds up to? I, I, I could see it being a hundred probably for a launch. I'm gonna go two hundred. A hundred and sixty-seven thousand dollars. That's a that's a markup of one hundred and eleven thousand dollars on a fifty-four thousand dollar car. Wow, that's twice that's twice the cost of the car in the markup. So that's the price of three, three of, them. of these, and you're only getting one. Holy moly, that is wicked. So, hmm. at what point does? Toyota and Ford start jumping in and going, hey, 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 hey. Because I, for me, this kind of makes the brand look a little bad. Maybe that's just me. I, you know, I'm more of a CPO buyer. But I mean, is anyone else going to get? I mean, unfortunately, it does make the brands look bad. But unfortunately, there's nothing they can do about it because the dealers are all their own independent entities. They're just licensed by Ford. And Toyota. But doesn't doesn't Ford hold you know Ford or Toyota? Can't they decide where the allotments go? Could they sure penalize they, they can decide who gets which cars and how many of them? Sure, because they're they're not seeing any more money. You know, Ford and and Toyota aren't seeing any more money. Right, these the dealers are all paying. The yeah, the dealers are all paying their sticker, which is of course under what the MSRP is, to Ford for the cars for the allotments and. They're setting their own um, you know, price as they see fit on top of that. So, yeah, the dealers aren't, the manufacturers not getting a dime more. This is all purely going to the dealers. Jeff, where do you stand on, on dealer markup? I mean, I, that's, you don't like new cars in general. They're probably <laughs> all overpriced as far as you feel, but like, can you even fathom paying twice the value of a car? for a markup no i think that's absolutely ridiculous i mean even in old cars you know which is more my wheelhouse you know you see a lot of the same type of thing usually from private parties or even from dealers where you know just because it's at a dealer lot they'll mark it up way over what the car is really worth you know and and not even in you know not even in modern context just kind of overpricing vehicles and stuff um i i don't know i i think it kind of ruins a little bit of the car world like kind of makes it harder for people to even want to get into something interesting um you know just because they're you know trying to 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 cash in on something that really isn't worth that but you know if one dealership's doing it then the next dealership's going to do it and the next dealership is kind of a self-perpetuating cycle of this you know astronomical 
price gouging, you know, it just, it, I don't know, feels icky to me. Do, do people pay these? Do, do, is, is someone going to go in and pay $167,000 for this Supra? Is someone going to go in and pay one hundred eighty-five dollars for that Mustang? Or are those, are those numbers to keep those on the lot for a few months to bring people in to, to gawk at them? There, there's probably a good percentage that that could go both ways for. There's absolutely people with money. You know, if you've got, you know, if you've got millions of dollars sitting around, what's 185,000? What's 167,000 to have it now? You know, if I, like, if, if that car, say, was sitting on the lot here in Boise and I won Powerball, I'd be there tomorrow and I'd buy it. You know, I, it's, there's definitely a percentage that would buy it. And there's definitely a good percentage that would say it's, it's there for, you know, a, a carnival attraction to bring you in and sell you the $45,000 heavily option GT on the lot. I mean, as long as people are paying it, it'll, it'll keep existing. So I guess that's kind of what it comes down to. Yeah. It'll, it'll, it'll slowly go away. You know, once it rolls around, you know, um, you know, give it a couple of years and once they're out and we're into full production and everything, you know, those will go down, but you know, that's, it's, that's been pretty common with any, you know, big, big release, you know, big name release in the last 10 years. You know, there's been heavy markups and stuff. It gets you in, it draws you in, you know. Um, quick quick tangent. Have you guys seen the Supra out in the wild, the new one yet? I have. I saw I saw one a couple of weeks ago out here in Boise. I, I liked it. I'm a fan. Nope. Looks like a Camry. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> All new cars look like Camrys to me, man. <laughs> I think if anything, it looks like a like a modernized, you know, BMW shoebox kind of roadster more than a Camry. No, yeah, no, you're right. It it just it looks a little bit like it looks like oh here's a good one. It looks like one of those Infinity like FX forty five SUVs, but in a car package. Mm. Oh, that's appropriate. That's yeah. that's really accurate. That's accurate. I'm definitely a fan of it more from behind or straight on. I, the side profile doesn't do it much for me. I think it's just something quite about the way the the shape of it is. See, I I saw one when I was still back in Oregon. It was the first time I saw one at a stoplight, and then I saw one again yesterday. And I've seen I've seen probably three or four now. And my first thought every time I see it is, I hate that aesthetically. I hate everything about that car, the way it looks. I I really wanted to like it. Uh, for me, it's like the Ridgeline or the Veloster. I really wanted to like those cars because they were kind of quirky and neat. And man, just when I see them in real life, they just, the proportions are bad and they're cut weird. But here's why I'm a huge hypocrite. I really like the new Z4. And it's the same car, but like the, the th- one thing that's different about them is sheet metal and fascias. And that's my problem with it is I just don't like anything about the way that it looks, the Supra. I just, I just can't, the back is, it's got this weird cut in it. Um, I don't know how to, how to explain it. There's, 
there's kind of a weird cut below the spoiler that kind of goes uh, under the spoiler and around the taillights and then straight down. And it just, it looks unnatural. I don't mind it so bad from like the side. Uh, see, I'm kind of opposite of you, of you, Andy. The back is unacceptable. The nose, like forward of the of the wheels, like the the front overhang, makes me nauseous. It's it's way too way too many canards. It's the same. It's everything that I hate about the Nissan two eighty uh, compared to the two forty is just this incarnate. It's overdone. It looks like a bad Chinese concept car to me. So I, I um, think the comparison between a 240 and a 280 is a little unfair. 280s are beautiful still, by, but by comparison, they're a dumbed, watered-down version of the 240, right? They just have a little more little more fake vents and bumpers and just ugly stuff that kind of makes them, distracts from the car's naturally beautiful shape, right? And that's kind of my point, is this looks like they took, you know, the Mark IV to the Mark V looks like the 240 to the 280 where you can still see some familial blood and they made it faster. They made it tighter. It probably performs better, but any day visually I'll take a Mark four Supra over uh, a Mark five and I'll take a 240 over a 280. Uh, it's, it's just, I feel like it's a bad evolution of it. Maybe it'll look better in time, but Right yeah, now, maybe with a refresh, kidding. maybe with a refresh, you know, maybe it gets a little bit better. I mean, I, I would agree. I would take a Mark IV before Mark V, but the the thing I'm disappointed with is how different it came out than the FT1 concept was. If it came out more like the FT1 concept, I would be 100% way more in love with it, which I'm sure a lot of people agree with. Do you think that's because it kind of had to add a little bit more of its corporate uh, flavor? Yeah. Is that what I'm sure I'm sure that's part of it, yeah. And that just didn't jive with the concept. Like they tried to put corporate yeah. and concept in the two lines just right. don't and the, yeah, and you know, the the with BMW and Toyota both, you know, contributing to it. Um, you know, the FT one looks like a more of a natural Mark V Supra, you would think, you know, would kind of look versus what actually what we actually got. Yeah, I just I I can't do the weird spoiler line like it it got this weird I don't know how to explain it just the whole trunk lid area just looks like it just kind of got dropped there. I mean, if you take it away, it kind of does. Yeah, if you put your thumb, that over... looks better on the FT one. Also, is that that trunk area? I think if you look at the picture of that, I think that looks better. You probably like it a little more. Yeah, I think it kind of makes it weirdly tall in the back. And with the double bubble uh, roof, it just doesn't work. I think that maybe that's what's throwing me is the middle bubble and then the double bubble roof. And then in the front, the nose kind of bubbles out again. And the weird vents under the headlights, which I'm sure are actually functional. But I don't know. It just feels feels like they had the car and then someone tripped and it fell in a blender, and they're like, uh, it's got <laughs> a launch. That's fair. That's you never accurate. Had me. You never had your car. 
Uh, but uh, do you guys have any other thoughts on on the Supra or on uh, dealer markups before we move on? I will say I do have to agree a little more with uh, with you, Randy, on the looks of the Supra. I think it's uh, pretty hideous from every angle. Um, it is, yeah, it is not a pretty attractive car um, compared, which is a far cry, I think, from the from the fourth uh, fourth gen, which I I really like. Um, and was my dream car for a long time, actually. So, yeah, I wonder if this is anything like uh, just, oh, well, it's not as good as the last one, sort of a thing. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 not perfect, but you know, there's. I'm happy to see a, a you know, a new generation, and that you know, there's hope that they get a refresh. <clears throat> you know, maybe fix some stuff, make it look a little better, and also, you know give uh give the aftermarket some time too well i guess it's good that they didn't uh bring it back as a a compact crossover so that's a plus like the uh the evolution or the eclipse (laughs) well see it's not just the mach-e it's it's the the mitsubishi eclipse oh did Uh, they use that really and the the evo is going to be the same thing like yeah. How disgusting is that? It's where the money is. I know. God, there's no passion anymore. Ah, I disagree. There is passion. And that we is just... called a segue. <laughs> um, we, we just can't afford the passion. How about that? No, I, I could afford I could afford a little bit. Just just a little just a little taste. Just a little bit. It's pretty neat. But I uh, this one I can't. So this is uh our next news story is uh Alfa Romero's got a Giulia Quadrifiglio uh, GTA. Um, no, it is not pulled from the video game. It's it's a 540 horsepower track car. Um, this thing is wonderful. Uh, it's it's just the beast version of a of a four door that I already like uh, quite a bit. Um, so the Quadrifiglio is is their is their Skunk Works. That's their their fast one, and then they've now made a track version of it. And they're only making a few of them, um, so they they're retaining the uh, GTA's two point nine liter twin turbo V six, which has a really neat sound to it. Uh, but it's brought it up to uh, five forty from five ten horsepower, and it's it's got some really neat uh, kit in it. You know, it's got uh, 20 inch center locking wheels, titanium exhaust, bunch of suspension work, you know, shocks, springs. Uh, it's got a, a roll cage uh, with like a fire extinguisher and a helmet holder and, uh, you know, five point Recaros. Like, this is a proper track car, i.e., a 911 GT3, GT3 RS sort think, of a thing i think if this had a ford badge on it andy would uh be all about it this is like the andy oh no no it doesn't need the ford badge i am all about it <laughs> this looks like um, someone took andy's recipe for a race car and then uh yep, yep. and went out and built it and i am a fan yeah <laughs> if i if i had to get rid of the mustang for uh for a four-door saloon that's it 
here's how I can hook Jeff. So Jeff, this is a four door, 540 horsepower, four door sedan track car, uh, brand new midsize. What do you think this thing weighs? Oh, because you're 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 trying to appeal to me. I'm guessing it's lighter than what it looked like. Um, I would say uh, modern say modern four door sedan. Oh, mm. four door. I would want to say thirty six hundred pounds, but I'm going to say thirty two. Thirty three fifty. That's not bad. That's really not bad. That's pretty uh, good. You know, uh, zero to sixty in three and a half or so. Uh, there's only going to be 500 of them, so these are probably going to have that dealer markup on them. Uh, but you know, it's got carbon front splitter and wing and and stuff like it's it checks all the boxes for track toy. So, what do you guys think? I, I dig big it, fan. Man. That's sweet. I mean, as as a track toy, I dig it. I wouldn't, you know, I don't buy new cars, but like, I definitely dig dig it. Like, it's cool. I would I would definitely go out for a few joy rides in that and go take it out to PIR or uh, Willow or something and just go have a ball on it. That looks like a really good time. It looks like something you could drive to and from. I love the interior of these cars, man. I gotta I gotta trip yeah. over a big bag of money, but um, <laughs> it looks really good. Especially the gallery I'm on has it in uh, black with bits of red stitching. But the oh, red, yeah. Oh. Yes, yeah. it just it, it looks just mint. Yeah, it's got Alicantra all on the on the dash and the center console, and it's got those Recaros with the you know a little bit of Alicantra between, you know, on the in the middle of the seat there. Mm-hmm. It's got the thick rim wheel with the with the bits for your thumbs and the kind of a flat bottom to it. Three spoke design. It just yeah, that looks really good. Okay, yep. That that'll work. Big magnesium looking paddle shifters look to be yeah. mounted. That's just I think it's just set up how I how I would how I would like that that weight, that size, uh you know, a twin turbo V six with over five hundred horse, that's more than enough. That that would be a monster. And I think it'd still be drivable is the thing. I don't oh, know yeah. how the suspension would feel, but Yeah, that would be fun for sure. It's 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 put together very well, so it's pretty pretty nicely you know nicely done. I will say it's a shame it's going to be six digits, but someday yeah. it'll come down to five. Sure. Any other thoughts on the alpha other than just drooling over it? Nope, still drooling over it. <laughs> well, when you get the chance to pick your job off the floor, uh, you brought in our our next uh, our next subject. Uh, we touched on NASCAR a little bit last week, um, and there's a there's another there's a rule change coming for NASCAR, uh, and it's a little bit of a bigger deal. NASCAR's always been, you know, very adamant about doing things differently than than other sports and kind of sticking to their to their heritage and not wanting to change the way that they do things uh but it looks like they're uh they're doing one thing uh kind of f1 style here 
Yeah, so they're finally kind of going, picking up a little bit of a F1 style, but um, so they're going to 18-inch aluminum wheels for 2021. And they're going and for a 15 inch, like a 15 or 16-inch steel wheel? Is that right? Yeah, 15 or 16, I don't know exactly what size, but yeah, to, up to an 18-inch aluminum, and they're going to a single, <clears throat> you know, center hub um, lug nut style what, like F1's had for years. Um, seems multiple benefits. You know, I, I'm, I'm presuming the weight difference is going to be significant. You're going to aluminum for one, um, added strength too as well. Um, but I also see there's probably going to be, you know, a, some significant increase or I should say decrease in, you know, times on, you know, for, for tire wheel changes, um, on pit stops as well. From what I've seen, it's really only a few tenths um, because they they got so fast at at doing those, and they still have to get up and move to the other side of the car, and that's kind of right. one of the bigger things. That's why F one so fast is they've got tire changers on both sides of the car, and with NASCAR, uh, they just have the two, and so they have to start on one side of the car and jack that side up, do all that, and then drop it down, jack guys got to go around to the other side, the wheel guys have to go around to the other side, switch those ones out as well. Whereas in F1, they've got uh, hydraulic lifters on the car that just pops it up and they've got a person at each corner, pull it off, put it on, back down the road. So this will still be a very different pit stop. And it seems Yeah, it's like still going to be different, yeah. Off. I think it, it's definitely going to save a little bit of time, probably not drastically, at least not at first, maybe not without some other rule changes, but um, it's going to prevent probably, you know, A, uh, from a lot of infractions of not getting lug nuts tight, which is also a safety issue of you get a bad vibration or worst case, you know, uh, uh, you know, wheel come off or, you know, a, a hub failure or something of that sort. This will alleviate a lot of those issues too i think that could be a, a real a real plus um for the sport because like you like you mentioned just the safety if you know you just got the one the one lug nut to put on i, I figured higher higher uh, failure rate if you've got multiple to do uh, i could also see the other side where it kind of takes some of the skill out of the uh out of the pit maneuver you know, those guys have to be so on top of it to hit, you know, all five, torque them down the same, practice, practice, practice. Uh, it could could kind of close in the the span of, you know, having a good pit crew saving you time. It could take a little bit of that advantage away. Right. And those those guys already practice every day that do that too, you know, to perfect that down to that science. Um, you know, it's going to take a little bit of that out, but, uh, you know, you know, it's, I, I think it's a good thing. I, I, I've said for years, you know, I would have liked to have seen this real change coming and I, I think it's a good thing. I'm glad they're doing it. Now, Jeff, you're not, you're not a avid NASCAR fan. Um, but what do you, what do you make of this rule change in a, in a sport that only recently got uh, fuel injection. <laughs> uh, it seems like they're a little slow to adapt to new tech. Um, I know, uh, you know, the 
like the rear suspension of those cars is is originally from like a 1960s Chevy C10 truck. So I mean, um, I guess any step in in a modern direction is is okay, um, especially in racing sports. Um, I don't know. To me, uh, I'm a little jaded though. NASCAR is pretty boring to me. So I think that because it's so antiquated in its approach. Um, I'm not one to talk about this, <laughs> but because it is so antiquated in this approach, it doesn't really have a lot of, I don't know, anything that's really super compelling to go watch. Like it's the same, you know, same displacements. It's the same, you know, uh, engine constraints, same chassis constraints. I mean, it all comes down to the driver. I get that. That's, that's neat. But, you know, there's really not a lot of interesting things going on in terms of racing um, that happen in NASCAR, in my opinion. I mean, could I go run a lap like those guys? Absolutely not. But I, I'm not trying to trivialize their achievements, but I'm mostly saying that I think that the sport itself is very, um, it's very dated in its approach. Um, and, you know, uh, to actually allow some modernization of things was, is probably a good thing. Um, I think that they should do more to allow a little more freedom of manufacturers to make the racing a little more interesting, let them do some more, um, some more tech and you know interesting interesting uh chassis uh changes and whatnot to uh kind of see what see what teams can different teams can bring to the table from engineering side as well as the driver side so um, but then i guess it wouldn't be nascar so i don't know hard, hard to say um i think it's a step in the right direction though all right, so we'll uh, we'll go into rides. Um, I'm gonna have uh, pick randomly. Andy, you can go first. Uh, what have you been up to? Well, big boat of nothing. The Mustang's been pretty much uh, covered up in the garage. Focuses in and out, kind of driving about. You know here and there on the weekends and running around here and there for running errands in it when I feel like it. Uh, work-wise, haven't really done a lot. Um, there's things to be done when there's budget for them, but for right now, they're all on the back burner. Um, yeah, vehicle-wise, not a whole lot. The garage, um, I did do a little work in the garage itself, though. Um, I did swap out a section of my garage door to get a little more light in here. I put a glass section on my garage door this weekend. That's Ooh, nice, that natural light. Yeah, quite a bit. I mean, I've already got quite a bit in here as far as, you know, my lighting in here, but like during the day I come out, I don't even need that even, um, unless I'm going to rip into something. You wouldn't want that in Portland because people would just use it to see what's in your garage and steal it. Well, that, and you'd just be constantly looking out at the rain, so. That, that's true. <laughs> over over here, it's not, not so much a problem. I don't mind looking out and seeing some snow, but yeah, that's, that's about it for me, really. Um, not, not much else going on right now. Like I said, got some ideas in the back burner and coming up on the track season, so there's some, there's some stuff floating around to be done, but uh, nothing in the last week. I'm looking forward to hearing about you starting starting some of that uh, autocross out there and and seeing uh, how the how the focus does on that especially. 
Yeah, I think it should be should be fun. Uh, just want to get a little, a little little tune up work on it, what and, and and whatnot, and just take it out for a run. You know, just basically kind of as it sits and see what happens with it. You know, the first I probably want to give it a you know probably a good two or three events before I decide to do anything with it. Um, you know, just kind of run it stock form and see see if I enjoy it in stock form or if my no typical inner self wants to come out and start tweaking things, you know, to every which direction, which will probably happen at some point. Oh, you'll make it at least half a half a day before you start wanting to tinker on things. I'll go the first the first day. I'll come home and we'll be ordering like like cold air intake for it or something. Mm-hmm. There's there's you know, I'll have to kind of follow the lines of the rule book to make sure I don't jump outside of any particular class regulations, but. Um, for what I want to do with it, I'm pretty sure I can do like a, you can do like a cold air intake and, um, you know, like a, you know, like your standard, like a, a cat back exhaust on it or something, a little bit less restrictive exhaust. And, um, you can go up to like, a like, I think a 200 tread wear tire before you start to get into anything, you know, more extreme that would put it out of its element. So we'll see what happens. Well, that could be, that could be a lot of fun. Uh, how about you, Jeff? What have you been up to? Oh, I didn't do much this weekend. I, uh, I forgot my computer at work. Um, and I wanted to, uh, to do some recording, uh, for our little project, um, this weekend. So I drove my Falcon for the first time with its new, uh, freshly painted and coated cow. Um, and, uh, boy, did it stink still after a week of sitting, it still was just that smell of dry, like off gassing paint. But uh, drove that over to Vancouver and back. Um, so that, I mean, not the most exciting thing in the world, but it was something. And then uh, we, of course, did the cabinets I was uh, talking about earlier. Got got a lot of stuff organized and kind of cleaned the garage up, which was nice. But um, yeah, no, really, I'm right now. I'm just trying to. Uh, um, I mean, I'm kind of in a weird spot with my projects right now. My truck needs to go to paint, and uh, I've got all my interior kind of strewn around and inside. So really, I mean, the truck needs to go away for a while and then I need to save some money up to finish the interior and the Chevy. And so I don't know, I'm kind of in a weird spot right now with projects. So I just need to figure, figure my stuff out and, and keep moving forward. Well, that's always the goal. Um, yeah. But at least, at least you made some progress over the last, you know, many weeks. So that's, that's good. You know, you can't get something done every week. Um, I can certainly try though. (laughs) You can certainly try, you know, only so many hours in the, in the week, but uh, I mean, they've still come a long way just this uh, calendar year uh, from January got quite a, quite a bit done. Those seats do look good on the Bronco. So thanks man. Yeah. How about you? What do you, what do you do? Oh, we're birds of a feather. Um, I was quite busy with uh, house projects and and uh, and kids stuff uh, recently. Uh, after getting better from whatever plague was out here last, um, but yeah, I uh, I finally kind of got the energy up and was able to clear out the garage. Uh, I was. I was waiting on doing that because uh, we were going to finish painting in there and do some stripes. And then I was going to wait until I got my racks that I could actually put, you know, all of our totes and all of our gear and uh, tools and stuff all up properly. But 
it's been six weeks and um, it's just not high enough on the priority list to get around to that. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to do what I can. And I actually did pretty well, uh, you know, trying to organize all the, uh, all the kid stuff off to one side, all the camping stuff off to another, uh, all the, you know, yard work stuff in another corner. And then right up in the front, putting my little, uh, temporary, uh, workbench and my toolbox and uh making room for the uh for the x5 to park indoors so that when it gets uh rainy or hot the kids can just hop in and, and go to school without uh without too much trouble um trying to spoil them a little bit and you know if you've got a vehicle in there it can't fill up with junk um yeah, and I, I got plenty of room still in there for, for the dirt bikes. And that's kind of uh, my next project is uh, slightly automotive. It's garage related. Um, my dirt bikes need need gone through. Uh, I've got a carburetor to rebuild because uh, uh, I started it up. And the thing, as soon as I touched the throttle, uh, I could I could get it to start. But as soon as I touched the throttle, or it tried to really idle, um, it would just cut out. And, uh, so it's, it's sat for over a year. I'm sure the, it's probably the pilot jet is clogged. Uh, so I'll pull the carb apart and, and, uh, set it up on my workbench. Now that I got that going, I got room to work. I got access to all my tools, put my toolbox together. I can get to all my stuff and actually wrench on something again. Uh, Carburetors are are pretty simple once you've once you've done them a couple dozen times. Yeah, kind of the back of your hand. Uh, so right. I get to actually get a little bit dirty and clean out some jets. Uh, I found my uh, my jet cleaning uh, uh, kit. It's basically just a just a tip tip cleaning kit for for a welder. Uh, uh, suits that need just fine. So I'll clear that out, replace the gas. Um, it's got fresh and fresh oil and coolant in it already. And, you know, just do that thing that garages are meant for uh, and work on a project. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm Bet glad you, you got to work on something old. That makes me happy. Something yeah, right. carburetor. Something carburetor that knew that was coming. And I was, I'm impressed that Randy worked on a car. That's probably the most impressive. Yeah, it was well, a 2005 uh, old car. A dirt bike. Yeah, you know, not enough, you, you not enough wheels, but it's a garage, really. Object. <laughs> yeah, it's the closest more, I get to. More than I did on a car in a while. <laughs> so it's true. Yeah, I'm looking forward to when the 5 Series gets down here. I got uh, plans plans for the 540i, but until then, you know, the vehicles I have down here, I don't want to monkey with. I need to. I need to get to work. They need to get to school. So when the project gets back, I'll uh, I'll definitely uh, tear into that. Start figuring out the the water pump. Um, make sure that that's all that's all squared away. But that's that's for another time. Uh, we've decided I'm probably gonna I'm probably gonna drive it down because um, I've got a bunch of other stuff that I need to bring down. You know the stuff you forget. My weed whackers up there, and air compressor, and that sort of stuff. Enough stuff that we've decided that I'll I'll rent a a van, and I'll probably 
bring the van and the five series down with a, a co-driver and we'll just kind of swap off and that way the the unproven vehicle has a, a u-haul uh, kind of in tow with it to uh to help it out if it if it needs it don't forget to bring a tow strap oh certainly jumper cables tow strap uh zip ties i'm gonna make a, a kit all the all the necessaries Yep, yep. It'll be a fun uh, trip. It will. I've already done it, but uh, hopefully it'll probably be late spring, early summer uh, by the time I can get time off of work to do that. So hopefully I can take a little bit different route. Uh, yeah. That, that could be fun. And do some corner carving. Yeah, I'll see what there is. I mean, that thing corner carves, but it, it's also really good on the highway. So I'm also looking forward to kicking back uh, a little bit on the freeway. <laughs> That the is Ranger such a good was a car. Active drive, so I uh, I think there's a video I sent you. Matt Farah just released a video on the smoking tire of a uh, M5, um, like a really low mile E39 M5, and just That's his comments. So clean. Yeah, his, and his comments on that video were a lot like the ones we've had about your car. Just how how impressive it is, and how even modern M5s don't really hold a candle to the feel of the E39. They're such a good car. I never thought I would be impressed by that car until I drove it. And then I was really blown away. It's a bit of a sleeper. I mean, uh, not to belabor the point, but it, it, it's kind of flawed in the best way. Like uh, Matt Farah does mention that it has a little bit of body roll, but that helps you, kind of feel what the car is doing and helps you set it up you know so those kind of flaws that it does have kind of give it character and make it you know gives it that bit of a soul uh you know to speak like an auto journalist yeah honestly body roll is one of those things i think that's kind of it's sad to see people uh, hate the body roll as much as they seem to you know like it 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 serves its purpose for weight transfer and, you know, changing grip from, you know, um, tired. Of, like there's, of course there's too little, there's too much, but there is some body roll is intended. I mean, I, I worked with a guy, uh, still work with him, but he's virtual now, but he, uh, his entire job, previous job was, um, uh, designing a race car suspension. And, you know, he, uh, he, he had spoken to me many times about how important it was to, um, you know, keep those dynamics in check. And generally most auto manufacturers and aftermarket manufacturers make things way too stiff and it actually reduces the wheel rate and contact with the road. So you get a lot more skittish behavior. Um, and he said generally good driving, you know, good handling race cars, actually drive really well and are fairly compliant on most roads. They're not overly stiff. And, uh, and the company he worked for, I won't mention it, but they designed mostly Corvette suspension. Um, they, uh, uh, generally they would get calls from, from enthusiast Corvette drivers asking why their car rode so well and that it needed to be stiffer. Um, when, you know, he had thousands and thousands and thousands of hours in development of their suspensions, um, 
making them handle the best, absolute best that they could on the track. Um, so, uh, just kind of funny to see that, you know, that people have become so accustomed to stiffer suspension equals better when that's really not the case. And an E39 is a great example of that. Um, your car's suspension is less stiff, uh, than my Fox body. Yeah. Your car handles 10 times better than my Fox ever wishes it could. So. Yeah, there's no one thing. It's not well body roll bad. It's right. There is good and bad body roll. Like uh, I, I wish I could have tuned a little bit of it out of my uh, my Mustang, and you know I've driven plenty of vehicles that have too much of it. But like our currently our X5 and the five series both have kind of the correct amount of body roll for what they are. Um, like the X5 is very linear, whereas the Mustang would would lean all at all at the beginning and then plant. Um, and the 5 Series, it is kind of in between, where it's not as drastic as the as the Mustang was, where it would, you know, you would hit four or five tenths and it would hit maximum lean, mm-hmm. uh, so it would upset you immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas the uh, X5 doesn't roll until you get up to, you know, where I'd get in trouble for driving it to. Um, And the 5 Series was right around, you know, 8 or 9. Like, you would already have to drive it pretty hard to get it to its limit uh, of its body roll. But then it would would plant if you were really going going to town with it. Sure, sure. So not a lot of working on our vehicles or in our garage uh, to any huge extent, but, you know, little bits, a little bit. Um, So moving on to topics, uh, I thought it was finally time to uh, uncork uh, the the dream car segment and let Jeff kind of kind of roll with it. And uh, (laughs) we're going to do what's probably too broad of a of a topic, but. We'll uh we'll see where we end up pre nineteen sixties. Yeah, uh, this is a, this is what makes up ninety percent of what Jeff is into and about one percent of what Andy likes. So that's that's crossover. being generous for me. That's pretty generous. <laughs> Did they make a this, car uh, before nineteen sixty six Mustang GT three fifty? I don't think so. <laughs> this is one hundred percent Jeff's rent in the wheelhouse. Quick, easy slapper for Jeff. Oh, I know it's tough, dude. There's so many cars I like in this. Well, well. I there's a plethora of vehicles that I am oogling to talk about right now, but I'm gonna have. I'm gonna make it real easy on on everyone involved, and we're gonna do something a little bit different. We're kind of gonna give Jeff the reins, which is a dangerous idea on its own. Well, we'll be Uh, here for a couple hours. We'll let him uh, lead with with a car right from the get go, and then uh, we'll alternate uh, back to me and Andy. And between us and at the end, we'll let Jeff slot in. So we'll go Jeff's car, Randy's car, Jeff's car, Andy's car, Jeff's car. That way, he can kind of get get his his thoughts out. In between listening to us try to talk about old cars. 
I'll, I'll only agree to this if it doesn't involve an intake swap and me being up till 7 a.m. Yeah, yeah, that's only on 90s cars, dude. <laughs> that's true. Okay, we're good here. We're good fair, here. Fair, fair point. So, Jeff, go ahead and uh, uh, lead us off with your uh, with your first pick. And I know you've got probably 100 cars, but let's try and keep it to uh, <laughs> to three tonight. Okay, so I'll do my best here. Um, so I, I there's a lot of interesting cars that I want to talk about, but because this is a favorite car segment, I can't really touch on interesting cars. For that, we have another um, little segment we'll be doing. But um, for now, uh, let's see. My I, I have to say the car that I already own is uh, hands down like – one of my top five favorite cars ever made my 1950 Chevy Styline two door sedan. Um, I know that's kind of a given blah, 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 you know, but it's been a dream car on my list for a while, a good while. And uh, something about the lines, just the, the shape of the car, the proportions, everything fits just right. There's nothing really interesting technically about it. There's nothing, you know, super, you know, novel or creative about it um in in a in tech from a technology standpoint but the beauty of the car to me is what speaks to me more than anything else um these cars you know when they're nicely painted when they're rusty in all types of conditions they're just they fit every bill um for me in terms of shape style they just kind of have this beautiful art deco lines that just just hit every sweet spot um, for me. So I don't know if, if we're going to count my car as a favorite car, but I think I'm going to start with that one because that's a car that I've spent um, a better part of two years now working on and fine tuning. And I really like it. Had I the chance to do it again, in my particular case, I would have chosen one with maybe a little less rust, but um, you know, you live and you learn, but beautiful car, absolutely one of my favorites. Can you give us some bullet points on why you wanted specifically a 50 style line what was it about that car as opposed to uh you know what we might bring up later why why a 50 chevy style line that's very it's a very specific pick (laughs) okay so um i i first saw one of these i believe i'm trying to remember where i saw it i think i saw it in like a low rider magazine or something and originally i was probably like andy i was like man every 50s cars looks the same they're all round they got big headlights and big fenders and they all kind of suck and they're all from fat and boaty right then like is that what you're thinking andy probably right um but uh when i started looking at them and i you know i got into the, you know i was driving my mustang and you know i just the more i looked at the inside of my mustang i was like god this is just ugly plastic everywhere it's just you know crappy feeling like thin sheet metal you know like good engine good drivetrain but it just didn't have that like heart that i feel like old cars had and so i started looking more at these 50s cars like and uh you know it started i'm gonna say it started with my 60 falcon um you know like i was just like wow that's a beautifully shaped car and then i started looking back even earlier in the 30s 40s and 50s and just the lines and the attention to detail that they put into these cars was just blew my mind. Like the, the swooping lines and, you know, the, the little, uh, the, the, the gauges on some of them, if you ever want to look up a beautiful gauge, look up a 1955 Packard gauge. 
um, so pretty, like this turned metal dash and like these aeronautical gauges with these different, you know, um, like uh, almost look like a really high-end watch face, you know, like these silver printing with like gold surrounds and, and then they illuminate just, just gently with this like beautiful, like warm six volt light, you know, incandescent glow just reminds you of sitting at home in like this nice warm, you know, like fifties house that you just, you know, you can smell the cigar smoke and the whiskey and the, you know, the good times and the memories and of like kids and, and just things like, I don't know, just like this, this, it paints this picture in your mind of a place and a time that doesn't exist anymore. That's so refreshing to be in. And, uh, and so you look back at these old cars and there's these, there's these, these snapshots of those time periods and they just, they transport you to that era and what you would imagine that era was like, even though I never lived in it. So I just, I drink that in every time I see these old cars, it's just, it's so strong and and in the moment for me every time i look at these cars and when you see one in good shape and then you see one in bad shape you just you wonder what led that car to being in such poor condition what led that car to being so well preserved and like seeing imagining the life and the and the events and the things that those cars have seen through throughout the years is just it's so intoxicating to me to think about that kind of stuff and so anyway, I'm digressing a little bit, but as you look through some of these old cars and I, and I started kind of perusing some of these cars, oh, that's a neat design. That's a neat design. Um, I saw, you know, the, like the Dodge Cambridge and the, and the, um, and the Plymouth Savoy and the Kaiser Manhattan and uh, some of these other cars. And I really started to kind of fall in love with these cars and not to plug the video game too much, but the game Fallout kind of helped kind of uh, push me along this, this path a little further, you know? Um, I loved kind of the fifties music in the game. And I'm like, you know, man, there's some really cool styling that happened. And granted the game's not entirely, uh, you know, fifties based, but it was, it brought uh, to attention a lot of like some of the things that I kind of had grown to like really love about the fifties and the forties and just the styling of the era. And so I stumbled across the 49 to 52 Chevys. Um, I don't remember if it was in a magazine or if it was on a YouTube video somewhere I saw them. And uh, at first, I didn't know there was a difference between any of them. I just saw the front end of the car with these round headlights and this kind of swooping body shape. And I was like, that's gorgeous. And I did notice that there was a difference between like a fastback and a coupe. And uh, I didn't even know there was a difference between a sedan, a two-door sedan, or a business coupe, or a sport coupe. There were four different models. And uh, I liked them all. And personally, I was like, wow, I really like the four-door sedans. Those look really nice. They have a better shape than the business coupes because the business coupes kind of have these big long trunks, you know, for traveling when you're going on your when you're doing your door to door salesman thing. And uh, and then I realized that after looking at him, talking with a buddy at work, he's like, no, they had a two door sedan. And I'm like, isn't that the business coupe? He said, no, it's a it's a two door sedan. And so I said, Oh, really? OK. And so I looked at the two door sedan. I'm like, that's the one that's got the longer back window. It's a little bit shorter trunk better proportions. It just hit right. And so I started looking a little closer at, I originally wanted a 51, but as I started kind of looking at the lines of the car and the way that the, the curves from the fender met the, met the curve and the shape of the roof and the, and the rear haunches kind of had this kind of tapered down shape to them on the 50 versus the, the 51, 52 kind of had more of a squared off quarter, just a little bit. It just, the the 49 and 50 just hit just right. And the reason I wanted the 50 was 
it didn't have the teeth in the grill the 49 did. And I felt the teeth in the grill distracted from the rest of the car and the rest of the styling of the car and the aesthetic of the car. I would have been happy with the 49, but I think the 50 hit it just right. And, uh, and you know, in all honesty, if you looked at every metric of this car, the drivetrain was garbage. The frame was not great. Like everything drivable drivability wise in these cars was not good. And, and even um, before I bought my Falcon, which was five years ago now, I think, something like that, four years ago, five years ago, um, I drove a 1949 uh, Chevy four-door, uh, I think it was a fleet line, um, and it drove like a bus, and it was terrible to drive. Like, it was it was beautiful, though, man. I walked out into this guy's garage, and, and just to watch the door open up, and you could see the light shining off the fenders, and this, this shape, like, I looked over, my dad was with me, and I looked over at him, and he was just like, you could tell, like, it struck him like it struck me. Like, that's a freaking beautiful car. Like, there's just no modern car that can that can meet the style and the shape of those 50s cars nothing on the road like it just so cool and so pretty and um we went to go drive it and it was you know manual everything actually believe it or not had good power it was a three uh three speed on the column but you go go around a corner and you felt like the whole thing was going to tip over and fall on its side like bias ply tires you know manual drum brakes that went right to the floor like no braking, no turning, um, you know, decent power for an inline six, but, you know, just not the best driving car. And so, you know, after driving and I was like, you know, that was a really cool car, but man, it needed some work like drive driving drivability wise. And so shortly after that, I, you know, I drove my Falcon and that thing drove just perfect. And, uh, by comparison anyway. Um, and so I bought that car, but, um, you know, years later, I still, I always had that, that, 49 to 50 car in, in my mind. And, uh, I was just waiting for like the right one to get. And I decided that I was at a point in my life where I was like, you know, I keep talking about building a car or doing this, doing that. And then I also keep thinking, man, one day I would love to buy like an icon derelict or something, but I'm never going to have half a million dollars. And if I do, I'm not going to spend it on a car. So I'm either never going to get what I want, or I'm going to take on a project and build what I want. And so I saw this car on Craigslist in, in uh, Yakima and I was like, had to have it. I was just like, that's the one let's do this thing. And so, uh, so I did, but yeah, so that was kind of a long winded story about why I love that car. So, well, you went in with very specific reasons. You knew what you wanted and you went out and you found one and you got it. So that's, that's good. You didn't just kind of luck into it. Like I do with mine. Uh, you really did your research, which shows how little research I actually do. <laughs> Hindsight, I wouldn't have bought one with so much rust, but you know, I learned a lot doing it, you know, well, if only oh, yeah. one of your friends had told you that's, that's a disaster. You shouldn't buy that one. If only, <laughs> if only everyone, <laughs> if, if only everyone hadn't told me that. I think my dad, when I, when I said I was going to buy it, I think he just looked at me like, huh, okay, I guess we're pushing this onto the trailer, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> he just had this look in his face like, you really bought that, huh, didn't you? <laughs> like, yep. He should have asked you if you were going to buy a trailer first because you're going to need it. <laughs> yeah. He told me after I got it done, he's like, you know, when, you, when this was uh, getting pushed up on the trailer, he's like, I never thought you'd finish it. I was like, oh, well. Glad I, I surprised myself and you too. So 
<laughs> to be fair, I don't think that was a lack of confidence. That was just a reality check. Right. No, I think you think you're right. I think most people that I sent a picture of that to didn't think I was going to finish it or even start it. But anyway, back to our favorite pre-60s cars after a five-minute uh, rant about my own love of my car and why I uh, love love the 50 Chevy uh, and the, really the 49 and 52 Chevys. Well, we all knew what we were getting ourselves into. Um, so I'll... Uh... I'll put mine out there. Um, this is one that I've I've liked for quite a few years now, and uh, it's it actually stems from my kids a little bit, which I'll go into. Um, <clears throat> but it's kind of a competitor to what you have. I really really like the nineteen forty nine Ford um, in general. I know that uh jeff keeps recommending if i get one that i should get a 50 because the interior is is updated uh, 51 um, 51 is when the interior is updated but 4950 is just kind of i really really like the way that that looks um and i know it generally continues on into 51 uh mostly unchanged on the outside um but for me it's it's just the difference between that uh, if you look them up, the the forty nine to fifty one Ford uh, sedans, and they, you know they got the two door and four door sedans, and then the coupes, the hardtops, blah blah blah. But they're what they called the shoebox Ford. Uh, they were completely flat on both sides. It was it was pretty new uh, for the uh, for the for the for the time. Um, cause this was kind of the second generation from restarting after world war, world war two, excuse me, uh, for all these, uh, companies. So this was their first real, uh, post-war, uh, you know, models cause the other ones had been updated from, uh, before the war. And so it was completely new design, uh, very streamlined, integrated fenders, um, and, uh, you know, the front end had in 49 and 50 uh, came together to a single kind of round uh, point Bullet. in the middle, much much uh, like you would see on a uh, Hudson. Yeah, like a crosshairs, right? Yeah, like, like a single. And then in 51, uh, it adds a little bit of chrome and gets a little bit, the grill gets bigger and wider and kind of has two kind of has two points in the grill as opposed to the single. And that's, although I like the interior of the 51 better, I, I just keep coming back to the exterior of the 49. And I think that actually connects into kind of an honorable mention that I have, which is the Hudson Hornet uh, itself. Um, as most people know, I have two kids, five and two, and my oldest one, you know, in his earliest years we spent a lot of time watching cars the uh, pixar film and one of the stars of that is uh, a hudson hornet uh voice acted by the great paul newman uh actor and uh championship racer and team owner um and he plays he plays a, a hornet and there's a 
there's a part in the first movie where, uh, you know, he starts his engine and they're going to race and you hear that, that flathead V8, uh, that's race tuned, just that raspy roar that they let out. And and I went, well, I'm going to have to get one of those at some point. And so looking around, you know, Hudson's are, are neat, but there's only a couple of years that I like and they're really hard to find. So a more plentiful option would be uh, these early post-war Fords. Um, and I haven't taken too much time in, you know, comparing the the Tudor to the four-door to the, uh, you know, the other options. But I do know that uh, this is this is probably what I'll end up with long term it's it's just kind of accessible and exactly what i want and i like the the shoebox the integrated fenders keep it modern enough for me to feel uh you know very more 60s to me which is kind of more my my happy place it's a little less Cruella de Vil, a little more modern um but yeah the the it'd be mandatory to have the flathead V8. That's kind of the biggest draw to me. Um, and the idea of having something simple that I could, that I could really work on and just drive around would be, would be wonderful. Um, have you ever heard of flathead V8 in person? Yes, I have. And it's, it's like, it, it just about took the fillings out of my teeth. Really? You yeah. Must the have one heard that, a modified one. It was, it was highly modified. So these, these from the factory only made roughly a hundred horsepower, and I'm not even sure if that's SAE. I think, I think um, it was old, old, old ratings. <laughs> yeah, and well, they were running at like six and a half to one compression. These, uh, like this four liters, a three point nine or a four liter flathead V8, and it just ran super, super low compression. So, what you can do with these motors is is amazing. You can you can pull a lot of power out of these. And if I could, if I could get one of these and rebuild it to, to push two to two fifty somewhere in that range, just to the crank, that would be, that would be enough to start breaking things. I mean, this is when they were still, they had just changed from a torque tube to a drive line. Uh, like this was, this was pretty, pretty big deal in its time. I mean, uh, it had a, a modern ladder frame. It had a coil sprung independent suspension in the front, uh, semi-elliptical springs in the back, but you know, that's, that's fine. Uh, but yeah, the, the torque tube had been replaced at that point. Um, but if I could get a little bit more than 90 to hundred horsepower, uh, I'd be, I think I'd be pretty happy with, with that. I don't want some big monster pushing out 390 horsepower to the wheels. Cause then you got to start, bracing things and, and it becomes a whole to do but just kind of Why massaging not? it because i'm not you <laughs> so they uh if you ever actually hear a stock flathead they're about one of the quietest engines i've ever heard um you feel a lot of hear a lot of just a lot of head tick from it because you hear, it's so... you hear nothing they're 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 a whisper quiet they're uh they're there was a guy at um cars and coffee at a 41 lincoln and uh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful car. He started the car, and you could put a glass of water on the hood, and it wouldn't even vibrate. Like it was just, 
it was just so smooth and so quiet. And you walk around to the back and you just hear this little blip, 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 blip from the exhaust. Just so mellow. It was just, it was really nice, really nice sounding car. Yeah, if I could massage it up to into the 200s and keep that kind of a kind of a relaxed attitude, uh, that would be a, a fun, fun kind of to put up against, you know, the, the 540, um, you know, being kind of the monster that it can be. Uh, it'd be nice to have something a little more relaxed to go take into town. So do we need to pick one for Andy at this point or do we uh, are we back to me? <laughs> Um, if you have, uh, let's see, uh, what do you think, Andy? Do you, are you ready? Well, I, 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 there's, there's a couple. I'm not, I'm not completely unsavable here, but, uh, what do you, what do you got? We'll go to you and we'll let, uh, we'll let Jeff kind of wrap it up. You know, my, my go-to would be something early thirties Ford. Um, okay. And of course, not not stock. You know, we're talking my. You know, you know my flavor. Chopped cut. Yeah. Thirty four. You know, kind of ro- You know, chopped cut. You know, roasted up. Even you know, kind of maybe a little bit of gasser style. Um. You know that that's kind of my extent of what it, if you're going you know pre sixties. That's that's what I would lean towards. There's a couple others out there. Randy, you mentioned the Hudson. That's that's another nice one. That would that I've got some appreciation for. It's that's a nice one as well. But it's like a 35 kind of road, like a like a not a rat rod, but a you know a roadster like that. A, a yeah, drag something in between a roadster and a rat rod, I would think. And this would have some big LS1 shoved into it? <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. You know it's a coyote. Uh, blower or no blower? Um, I would go high compression, you know, NA motor, NA setup on something like that, you know. Keep it super, super light. Yeah. Yeah, those cars had almost nothing to them, so that's not hard to achieve. Yeah, you know. Revving high displacement, aluminum blocks, something you know of that of that nature. High, you know, mid four hundreds ish horsepower out of an NA motor, and that would be more than enough fun for me. There's a video of a car that I think would fit your style a little bit. Um, it's a uh, it's a thirty two Ford. It was on Big Muscle, um, thirty two Ford on a factory five frame. Uh, oh, yeah. with like a, I think it had some crazy Ford engine in it and it had a, uh, it was all kind of steampunk. It was all black and it had like copper, uh, accents here and there and Ooh, yeah. steampunk pages in it. It was like, okay, I guess if Andy didn't want to do like the race car theme, like I could see him driving that. Yeah, that'd be, I'd drive something like that. That'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. That factory five would probably be the, the best way for, for Andy to go, he wouldn't have to, you know, be cutting through a bunch of rust. He could get basically a new, a new car and, and build that up. Cause that already needs donor parts and stuff. And he could wrangle those up uh, pretty easily. Right. Right. Yeah. Now this is, this will throw you through a loop for my, the only, the only other one that came to mind, not, not on brand, 
Ready for this? Oh, oh. Anybody? Anybody get any guesses? Mm. No clue. Not on brand. I'm going to say that it's probably... It's probably not even something American. You've probably gone off off book. So Correct. I'm not sure. Um, something. Um, it's got to be like a vintage Ferrari or something. Not quite. Pretty not quite. Uh, Fifty-seven uh, Aston Martin. Ooh, that nope. that'd be a good one. That'd be a good one. Uh, I got it. Lamborghini Tractor. <laughs> well, if I was farming still, uh, no, but uh, the correct answer it. was uh, Carmen Ghia. Oh, Carmen Ghia is pre 60. I don't know. Are they pre 60? 55, I believe. I know Carmen Ghia is the factory, right? Carmen. Well, Carmen is the factory, right? Um, Ghia was uh, 57 to 74. Wow, look at Andy freaking whipping out his, like, look at, I know all sorry. about classics. This is good. <laughs> this kid knows awesome. something. Yeah, look at this. I'm I'm down with a Carmen Ghia, man. Those are beautiful cars. 100%. Yeah. I've come, I've, I only really know much of them because I've come across, across a couple from various uh, customers of mine, kind of a couple of them in, in nice condition, a couple of them were kind of more barn finds that old timers are just kind of hanging on to, but they're... They're neat cars. They're definitely the best looking Volkswagen, I think, uh, made in the yeah. 60s through 80s. Uh, I don't know. There's another, there's another one that uh, related to my personal favorite, made at the same plant just a few years later. Mm. Uh, they ended up making what was rebadged as the Porsche 914 mm. at the same place. Ah. Was that a Carmen? Yep, it was it was made at Carmen, and it was originally a Volkswagen that they that they rebadged. But the the Gia, so Carmen is the is the is the uh, where it was made, and Gia was the uh, name of the designer, I believe. Uh, yeah, exterior styling. Uh, You're not going to pronounce me. that name. Carozilla, <laughs> Car- it's my job to butcher names. Karoziria Gia. Uh, but yeah, so that was, you know, interesting way to come up with, with a name for it. Uh, also the top, type 14 or type 34. I think that's a really good, that's a really good pick. Yeah, I, I like that. That was a good, solid, solid one, Andy. You impressed me. <laughs> I pull something out of the hat every now and then. Every, every once in a while. You surprised me. So yeah. n- now I need to know: would this would this get an LS in it? <laughs> yeah, you know that's yeah. I, I want to say no because I don't. You, you know me, LSs don't don't park in my driveway, let alone my garage. But well, I don't think so I don't think it'd fit in this particular application because it's a rear engine, rear drive. Uh, um you know, kind of a, it's more of a, um, unsafe at any speed, sort of a, sort of a vehicle. So, so would, I don't think, yeah, would this be probably, a not, probably not on the list, but maybe something, you know, Cosworth ish. Would this be a cruiser for you or would you have to race car it? Like yeah. put it on some steelies with some sweet dog dish, uh, hubcaps on there and just cruise it. <laughs> 
I could I could cruise it with the right motor in it. <laughs> with with the right coyote motor in it, it would be a good cruiser for sure. No, 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 not, 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 not a big motor, not a big motor. No, I not think the, he put a, he put off a, the deep end yet. One and a half liter motor means he could put like the, uh, the three liter one, the, oh man, you know, that one liter EcoBoost, that one liter twin the, turbo that they've got. What's it like Fiesta? a 1.3 liter in the Fiesta in the Fiesta I, ST? I think it's a, oh yeah, the, the ST. Yeah. You could fit that one in there, there for you go. sure. Do 200 ish horsepower as opposed to the probably 60 that this had? Ford's oh, yeah, The Ford Wagon? Ford's Wagon. Yeah. Bah. Yeah, this is, they're, they're putting this at uh, 34 and 50 horsepower respectively over the years. Boy, howdy. Yeah, we got, those, are, those are amateur numbers. We got to pump those numbers up. 1,800-pound 1800, 1800 car with 200 horsepower sounds like a good time. It does. I'm impressed, Andy. Congratulations. My hat yeah. off to you. <laughs> I am too. And I'll go ahead and throw a curveball before we let Jeff uh, off the leash. Um, <laughs> because I, now I know he's salivating over on the other end of the, uh, the call. Oh, you can hear that? Yep. <laughs> Everybody can hear that. <laughs> Get a mop, clean it up. Um, clean up aisle one. I've mentioned this before, and this this sweeps in just under the wire here. Uh, produced from 1958 to 1961. Um, uh, I mentioned my love of Jaguar last week, um, and definitely the Jaguar Mark Nine is is a a another kind of relaxed vehicle that I'd like to pick up. Um, it just, it's uh, just a big long hood, short deck saloon. I uh, just look, it looks heavy. I mean, at, and for the time it was, there's 4,000 pounds, um, in Oof. 1958. Wow. That, that's heavy, and it has that's a, heavy. Three point eight liter straight six dual uh, uh, dual overhead cam, two hundred twenty horsepower. That was a beast. That would have been a great car back in the day. Yeah, twin twin carb, uh, electronically electromagnetically controlled uh, carburetor uh, for the choke. It was that like nine to one compression. Um, so it was good old fashioned Lucas wiring. Yep. Uh, yeah. Disc brakes, recirculating ball, power steering is this would be the fancy option. Yeah. This is um, this is the this is the car for uh, the JC Penny gal. <laughs> Rob <laughs> Rob takes with <laughs> But I mean, this had uh, torsion bar independent front front suspension, you know, so that's good. Um, but. For me, I just love the inside of it. It 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 just it just kind of screams Britain, you know, like definitely outdated for the for the time, especially against the stuff that was coming out in the sixties. Uh but it seems more like a fifties car. You know, it seems like it was designed in forty eight and sold till fifty eight, but um so maybe at the time it was 
behind the times, but I think picking one of these up would be really nice. Uh, it's comes with a, a lot of them come with a two tone paint where the, the fenders running over the top wheels back to just to kind of end at the back doors down in front of the uh, back wheels kind of makes a scallop kind of kind of a bigger version of like a C1 Corvette. Um, but it's just got these big front fenders and big rear fenders that meet and it, it doesn't look like any other car. Yeah, they're they're pretty awesome. I love love the interior of them. I'm looking at them right now. That's that's pretty sweet. Yeah, and all that actual wood right. uh, and and stuff. Right. And to tangent off of that car to something that people may know a little bit better, uh, this is a car that my grandfather, uh, who passed a few years ago, actually owned. And if I ever had the means, because uh, a Mark Mark Nine, I could pick up um for you know ten to thirty thousand dollars depending on condition and actually have but what I want that I'll never get um in the same vein would be a Jaguar XK120. Ooh yeah. XK120 at its time was the fastest production car in the world. In the world. In the world. Um, yeah so it's just it's a wonderful little roadster it kind of has a, a similar um flavor to it uh, a little more like like a mark ii kind of a look to it but uh it's got kind of bug eye sprite kind of flavor um but it's big it's long the back wheels are covered i mean it looks like a car out of get smart <laughs> yeah it does uh, I, I just expected to have ejector seats in it. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's secret I mean, agent it's, car it's, right there. It competed with like the the Jaguar C type, basically for for coolness level. Um, uh, I mean, this, the C type was was the racing version of it. Like, I guess I, okay. I'm coming at this backwards. Jaguar started racing really in earnest with the C type, which led to the D type and the wonderful E type. Um, and this was the road going version. It's a two seater roadster, uh, made them for six years, uh, 48 to 54. It's got a three and a half liter straight six. Um, and it's, it's not a very big car. I have, it's, uh, about a hundred inches for a wheelbase and 173 long, it says. And that's, that's not, that's a very small car. I mean, that's a little longer than, than a Miata by my count. Oh yeah. Most of, most of these older cars are not much larger than what's out today. They just, they have such a, um, insane curb appeal and presence that they look bigger, I think. Yeah. Yes. Any thoughts on uh, on the old Jags or the any further on the Carmen Ghia? I think the old uh, the old Jags are pretty. I mean, both of those cars I think were really good choices by you guys. The Jags have a very 
European kind of flavor. Um, they kind of embody like what you would imagine, like the slow kind of fifties and sixties of Europe would be, um, in the ones that you were showing us. And then the Carmagia, of course, just has like a timeless style to it. It's pretty unique. Um, you know, very like a, like an Americanized Volkswagen, just very pretty, but very weird in its own way. So I, I, I can appreciate both of those cars. Those are affordable, but I still turn my head every time I see one on the road, like a restored one that looks good. Like that, it'll get my attention. It's just, oh yeah, it's elegant. And they're not, they're not overly expensive. So you can really get into it for a reasonable price. Right. And of course the, the hot rod Ford is, is definitely on brand for Andy and, and, uh, mm-hmm. and definitely uh, you can do so much to them. Like the, the aftermarket on that is is massive. Definitely. All right, Jeff, what do you what do you got to <laughs> to close us out tonight? All right. So I got a few and it's going to be really hard for me to pare it down and unfortunately, I think in this list you're going to find uh, more Chevys than Fords, but um in this era I think uh Chevy was kind of winning pretty hard. Um I'll start out uh with the 1959 Impala. Um I think that that is probably one of the best uh, looking like retro futuristic cars uh, ever made. I think it just kind of has that like real Jetsons vibe going on. These big old wings, just outstanding dash with all these curves and jet flavors and shapes going on. Really, a, really a neat, neat looking car. Um, yeah, everyone knows the back end of this car. It's yeah. very... Very easy to recognize. Yeah, very teardrop, very long and and uh, low car. Um, pretty cool. They had like X-frame design in there to help uh, reduce step over height to get inside the car. Kind of an interesting thing that they did on some of those cars. Um, overall, beautiful, beautiful car. Um, and uh, that's definitely high on my list of cars I would like to own one day. There's a lot of chrome on them and that, that long chrome line that goes right on the belt line all the way from the front all the way to the back to the taillights. Yeah. I mean, it makes it look so low and long. Yeah. That long chrome split on it. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yeah, they look like they're about a mile long and they're just super low and just they have that real kind of, you know, if you look at the interior and then they've got a real, like I say, kind of Jetsons vibe going on. They They're very kind of like futuristic for the sake of being futuristic you know very much like a three box shape like it looks like you've got you know the front middle and back of the car are all like equal size the front third of the car is all hood yeah the second third is the passenger compartment and then the back third is is the trunk and they're all equal you know 33 percent of the size of the vehicle so it's just got to be a, just a huge trunk i mean you've got to be able to smuggle a horse in that oh yeah no they're they got massive trunks and and tons of room to work up front so i mean they're very uh very spacious very comfortable cars um really neat cars um ne- next i think on my list is going to be actually a truck um the uh 1955 chevy napco uh trucks i think those are pretty awesome they were one of the first if not the first four-wheel drive um uh, kit that you could install 
um, by uh, offered by a company named Napco, where you would go to the dealer, pay an extra four thousand um, dollars, which was a lot of money. Um, I think it was four thousand dollars. I have to check that number, but uh, I might eat my words. But I think it was four thousand dollars you would pay on top of the price of of the pickup truck, and that would get you uh, a four wheel drive converted uh, truck. So um, they were extremely capable, super rugged and robust, but just had this super neat look to them that just I really, really dig. Um, but they were never factory offered in 1955. It was a, it was a dealer install or a uh, purchase through the dealer and you could install it yourself kind of kit. Very neat cars. Really love, ro- love the looks of those. Um, uh, I think next on my list, I got a few, I got to keep going through this list. There's not that many more, but, uh, one of the more interesting ones is the, uh, 19, um, I think it was 1951 to maybe 1950 to 1954 Kaiser Manhattans, very cool, cool cars, um, from coming out of Kaiser, uh, while they were around. Um, the Kaiser Manhattan had this really kind of very similar to the Chevy, but very different shape. Uh, the designer of the car was very known for having this kind of, I don't know what they would call it, but if you look at the back window, the back window is not, um, exactly straight across or curved. It kind of has a bow in the center, like a heart. Um, so it kind of had this kind of heart shaped back window and kind of heart shaped roof line, super neat and, and unique looking. And it had very uh, taillights that were prominent outside of the body and made up a part of the body line, similar to um, like the old, uh, what are they? I think they're like the uh, the 55 uh, Mercury taillights that have like kind of a very prominent kind of, um, you know, uh, presence outside and make up part of the body line, give it a really unique shape. Um, I really like those cars. I don't know why. I can't really put my finger on it, why I like those cars so much. I think they have a really kind of neat uh, n- neat look to them. And the, and the interior is super cool, too. Um, they uh, they had a GM hydromatic transmission, which was pretty neat um, uh, for their uh, powertrain. So that was a four-speed automatic. And then the uh, interior, they had kind of like a wicker bamboo-style dash. Like the whole dash was made of like a almost like a biodegradable material, very neat uh, looking, um, still very ornate, you know, steering wheel and gauge cluster and everything, but, uh, but super cool car. Um, and I think uh, I'm, I'm going to get down to the last uh, one or two here. Uh, one more I really liked was the uh, Dodge WC 53, uh, which is a Dodge power wagon um, of the uh, 40s and 50s. Um, they were uh, military vehicles, um, and they uh, they served as people carriers and munitions carriers uh, for the military. Um, super, super cool, man. They were like this big old factory off-road rig back in the day, and uh, just go anywhere, do anything vehicle. Super, super cool. Um, love the styling and the shape. The WC-53 was a, was a civilian-style t- uh, carry-all. So it kind of looked like a uh, like a suburban, um, you know, from like the 50s. But it had these uh, these kind of, um, you know, remote mounted headlamps that would sit on top of the fenders that had a really cool look. And they had, um, you know, the rock guards over the lights and, and stuff. And so 
Um, very cool looking, uh, very cool looking design. Just looked like this just mean um, built off-roader from the factory. So really cool uh, in that regard. Um, and then I think maybe my last uh, last one on the list, I think, um, since I have to end this, this is uh, probably <laughs> the, uh, the 34 last to call. 36 Fords. Um, I think those are pretty great, pretty great cars. I really like the lines on those, especially when they're in, uh, you know, there's a guy I think on Instagram, uh, that I used to follow. He had a 36 Ford coupe and I really loved the look of it. And his name on there, I think it was L Rodney or something like that. And it's a, uh, his car was this, uh, 36 Ford coupe and it was just, it was lowered all the way to the ground. I think it was bagged and he had wheel covers on the back. And uh, it just had this just super, super cool, long, low uh, look to it. Um, and uh, I really dug, dug the look of that car. Um, very, uh, very like a little mini um, uh, Lincoln Zephyr, you know, in a much smaller package. So um, that's funny I, to think of a Zephyr and being called small at all. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but uh, that, I think that's why I like it is because it's a little more palatable size. But um, but anyway, I'd say those are probably have to have to round out my uh, my favorites of the era. I'm sure there are more that I'm going to kick myself for not mentioning. But, uh, you know, if I have to end it, those are probably going to be some good good mentions there um, in, in my uh, favorite favorite automobiles of the day, of the of that era. I think that'll that'll call it at least for tonight. We're a little past time. Um, definitely uh, more interesting stuff than I than I uh, than I thought we were gonna really come up with. I think that's some really good, interesting stuff that I uh, recommend people uh, check out. And uh, some of this kind of stuff, Jeff's gonna be um, actually dropping a little bit of extra extra information on uh jeff you want to tell them about what you're starting up yeah so uh as part of uh garage night podcast um i'm going to be doing a little segment kind of we touched on it in the previous episode with or uh, episode before last um we're going to be calling it retro tech and so i'll be covering some either uh models of cars or specific features in cars or just interesting technology um from um, you know, uh, let's say before 1980 that, uh, maybe even in the eighties, but, uh, you know, older cars, interesting technology that, that no longer exists or is maybe commonplace now, but was very novel at the time. Um, you know, just some kind of cool, interesting innovations of, uh, of, uh, times past and, um, just a little short, little, uh, you know, 10 minute, eight, 10 minute, uh, segments, little short podcast to kind of cover these, uh, some of these cool innovations, but, um, yeah, similar to the self-winding clocks that sat in the, uh, in the middle of the steering wheel yeah. that were available, that, that sort of thing, you know, uh, oddities, uh, you know, interesting things you maybe didn't know, uh, existed or didn't know much about. Yeah. Uh, yep. you've already made the first episode and, uh, it's set to go out, uh, the Monday following the release of this episode. So you'll have a little bit, a little, present uh every monday in here in the feed uh so uh check him out let us know if you like him uh either way he's probably going to do him because he's doing the research anyway yeah, yeah um 
but I think it's it's uh, pretty neat. I enjoyed the first episode and looking forward to sharing it with everyone else. Uh, so thanks, Jeff, for for doing these. Yeah. Excellent. Um, with that, we'll run through the the admin stuff uh, real fast. Um, haven't uh, pushed it in a while. Uh, if you want to check us out on Instagram, uh, Garage Night Podcast, you can find us there. Uh, if you want to check out more about the the network, we also have a big gallery. Um, go to the Tiny Dog Podcast uh, dot com, and you can find you can find our landing page. You can go to the Garage Night tab, or you can go to the gallery, and it's got uh, pictures of all of our different vehicles, uh, including stuff from Bike Night and uh, our other podcasts. Speaking of which, uh, if you're into uh, motocross dirt bikes check out loose spokes um, and if you're into video games check out just another side quest uh, those are sister shows here on the network uh, that we have also available um, uh, thank you guys for uh, for coming on again uh, it was a lot of fun uh, talking about uh, dream cars and and uh the news and such um is there any uh final thoughts you guys have before we uh close it out for the night old cars are the best man you guys gotta buy them (laughs) (laughs) i i must put the obligatory plug out for my wife's new business uh if anybody needs a new home in idaho state hit me up wife is now a realtor in the state Congrats. Yep. Go ahead and hit up the uh, in the Instagram. We're all we're all on it from time to time, uh, and he can he'll definitely get it. Uh, check it out. Okay. And with that, uh, from all of us here at uh, Garage Night, uh, we'll go ahead and say good night. Good night, y'all. Good night, everybody. listening to the garage night podcast a special thanks for jeff tracy and annie tamlin for joining the show this week until next week keep turning wrenches